Hi, I'm Rachel Cook, your modern mentor. Have you ever wanted career advice? Like how to self-promote at work and not feel gross about it? How to make the peer-to-boss transition? Or how to make a big career change? On my podcast, you can find honest and straightforward advice on how to craft a workplace experience that you can feel good about. Listen to Modern Mentor on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening now. Um, I think if you're a, a meeting caller, there's an obvious one, which is just try not having a meeting. Uh, I know it sounds crazy. I know it sounds like an insane idea, but like it's, you know, the simplest answer is often the best. Hey, everybody, welcome to the show. This is Brave New Work, a podcast about reinventing our organizations and the search for a more adaptive and human way of working. I'm Aaron Dignan, and I'm joined by my co-host, Rodney Evans. Hey, everybody. On today's episode, we're going to discuss why on earth we have so many meetings to prepare for meetings and unpack that and explore ways to maybe uh, resolve it where and when we can. Uh, But first, what do we always do? We always do a check-in round, and today will be no different. So (laughs) our check-in round question for today is, what new and interesting thing have you been giving thought to lately? Well, I thought long and hard about this uh, coming into our recording session, and I have been thinking a lot about uh, safety, in particular brain safety, because I have been using a lot of different forms of transportation lately, including scooting, as I've mentioned on other episodes, and um, my noggin is at risk. So I did a bunch of research about the new like Hovding airbag inflatable helmet, uh, which was a mess, but I ended up um, actually getting this one. So I'll just show you those that are listening. You're going to have to describe this. Uh, it's a regular kind of, you know, oh, motorcycle wow. scooter helmet. But then check this out. Here comes the visor. There it oh. is. Oh, and oh, now I look, look like, like one a of the bad, Yeah, I look like one of the bad pilots from Top Gun, like the enemies. So that's me. I've been into like helmet safety. Okay. Well, I mean, keep you? that brain safe. It's important for all of us. I guess um, so. I have been thinking, uh, this is kind of like personal (laughs) and a little bit vulnerable. I've been, I've been in a bit of a hole around bias because I'm working on Mm. hiring things right now. And I've been considering whether I am more ageist than I Mm. would like to be. And (laughs) in interactions, uh, professionally in interactions with people, um, you know, significantly older than I am, have just found a level of frustration uh, in terms of, you know, technology fluency and willingness to use tools and things like that, that um, in the moment I am finding myself very irritated by. And then subsequently I'm like, is this like an unfair bias that I'm holding? Right, and right. What what to do about that? The balance for me between... Uh, doing what we do, which is about new ways of working and inciting people to change. And then also counterbalancing that with being like, are you just being an asshole? Mm-hmm. That makes sense. That's hard. I think, you know, almost everybody's probably ageist in one direction or the other, depending on their age and, you know, inclination. Um, maybe that'll come up in today's topic, actually. I'm curious how, what, what role age plays in, in our meeting culture. So let's, mm. yeah, let's jump in. Um, one of the most common complaints that I think we see and hear and that people choose from the tension and practice deck that we that we share with a lot of clients um, 
is the meetings to prepare for meetings tension. We just have so many meetings and most of them aren't even about a thing. They're about getting ready to show someone something or right. get approval or ask for something, et cetera. Um, so I think, you know, we, we thought this would be a great place to dig in. And I'm curious how you see it showing up in, you know, in the world and your work, even in our own work. Does, you know, what does it look like? Yeah, it's everywhere. It is such a waste of time. And it's also so soul crushing. So I put meetings <laughs> to prepare for meetings under what I call stakeholder circus behavior, which okay. is uh, when you do all of the work with all of the people to negotiate and influence outside of the room right, so right. that nothing actually has to happen inside the room. It's all just theater. It's just theater by the time we get there. And uh, the the deep irony to me is as much as we talk about how jacked up meeting culture is and what a waste of time and money it is, it is ironic to me that we th then also do all of this other work and effort so we don't actually ever have to do anything in the meeting. So it's like <laughs> the weird thing to me about meetings to prepare for meetings is that then when the real meeting happens, there's nothing to do because we did all of the real conversation somewhere else. But I think, again, that's back to this whole kind of risk management, personal career risk management, which is in a, you know, in a somewhat dysfunctional system to, to fail in the meeting, to be asked a question you don't know the answer to, to get pushback, to get a no is kind of catastrophic. So, yeah. so let's make sure that never happens. Like let's never have, and you know, to, to those cultures, a bad meeting is a meeting where someone gets told something they don't want to hear. Yeah. And so it's almost like that's a bad meeting. So let's not have a bad meeting. And the only way to avoid that is to have, you know, these umpteen one-on-ones and politicking and what, ha what have you. So that when we do come, it's going to be a great meeting, which is actually a needless meeting. <laughs> Absolutely. And I feel like further to that is like also not even to get necessarily bad news, but how many times do you hear the like, no surprises? When we get in there, we don't, we want, don't want any, any surprises. surprises, which is so anti-complexity. Like let's get a group of human beings with opinions together have an interaction, right. but around a complex no topic, right? Around an interesting strategic topic, and then no surprises. Let's cut no that surprises. Shit right thank out. you. So why, why, just why do you think this is going on? Well, I think it is about the addiction to prediction and control. At the end of the day, like so many things we talk about on this show, um, it's this idea of well, we you know we want the plan to not have any surprises in it. We want our go to market to not have any surprises, and we certainly want this one hour interaction to not have any surprises. I think of it though, at some level as just a symptom of something mm. being missing or broken um, elsewhere. So like we're, if we're having a meeting to prepare for another meeting, then, it, you know, one of two things is true. Like obviously there are, you know, there are going to be meetings that we go to where we need to do work in order to be present at that meeting. Mm -hmm. So, for example, in our company, like we, we do these, you know, trimesterly initiatives now. There might be a moment in, um, in our offsite every four months where a team needs to share, like, what'd you do? What'd you make? What'd you see? What'd you learn? And mm -hmm. obviously, in order to prepare that, we're going to have to get together in our little, you know, groups and squads and, like, sure. cook that up. Yeah. I don't think of that as a quote-unquote traditional meeting. I think of that as a collaboration session, as a generative session, as a, you know, we're, we sort of going in with an agenda to make something, mm -hmm. um, which is very different than like, 
let's make sure it's perfect so that when Rodney sees it, she doesn't freak out. You know, like that's a very different type of a meeting where we're anticipating the reactions of other people. When I think about how we would go about creating that narrative or that presentation or that story, I don't think we'd be thinking at all about how people might react. I think we'd be thinking like, this is what's up. This is what we did. This is the truth. And now if some people react positively or negatively to that, we'll, we'll steer. But right. it's, you know, but we're coming from a different place. So I, I think the first thing is to make that distinction between the session that's about generative preparation versus the session that's about anticipating and navigating the, the people that are going to be in the room mm-hmm. and making sure that like everything's perfect and, you know, it's all done and it's all complete. So I think that, yeah, that to me, that's like the first distinction. But what do you think? Yeah, uh, that totally resonates. Also, I don't know if this is really a root cause, but it's just a pattern that I see is where there is preparation for meetings, to your point, to me, it's like the wrong kind of preparation. So rather than uh, meetings that are about influencing before the meeting, I would be, I'm much more interested in people preparing something to read or to be digested, and then everybody showing up, having done some homework and being able to do a round of questions and do a round of reactions. I read and, the memo. Right. I read the memo. And that is so, uh, that is so counterculture in so many bureaucracies, like the idea of showing up, having read something and being prepared just to discuss it. And there's not going to be a time in the meeting where we go through the deck and spend 20 minutes on context is pretty pretty rare. Um, and I was I was with a leader yesterday who I think a lot of, it's early days, but he's just very smart and also is doing a lot of things that we would naturally do uh, in, a, in a culture that does not value those things. Sure. And, and there's this series of executive level meetings and there's about 35 of them a month. And all of the material gets sent out beforehand. Right. And this person said yesterday in front of this large leadership team, you know, the irony is I actually read everything you all send me. So then what I try to do is just come <laughs> up with clever questions, but then I go to the meeting and we it read anyway. it again. And I don't know why we're doing those. <laughs> and it was just, it was such a funny and very honest moment where everybody was like, first of all, no one assumed that he would be reading it because nobody right. else does. And second of all, if he did, then what are we doing there? Right. What are we actually doing? And is it just sharing or is it something we're trying to change or modify because i think yeah to your point like the gap here is twofold when we do that one is we all assume automatically that nobody has any time to do anything before any meeting because we're all stuck in other meetings so like when when would i read the document like that's completely (laughs) out of the question so when when leaders do have the discipline to do that first of all god bless them second of all it's a shock to everybody else (laughs) And, and so I think the first missing piece there is like, do we have a working agreement that we do the pre-read or the consider or the, you know, whatever is asked of us before we show up? Or yeah. is it an on-the-fly session, which, by the way, is fine. Um, and instead, we don't do either one. We do this weird in-between thing where we're like, we're going to pretend like we're pre-reading and pre-agendaing. Then when we get there, we're going to present stuff you've probably already read. And we're going to blow the agenda up when you jump in and intervene and say, like, I hate this or I love that. And we all spin in our wheels, you know, to try to like react to the unsuspected feedback or whatever. So it's like we're not right. having a really 
open-ended generative session, which, which would be an advice session, essentially like, Hey leader, here's the thing we've been cooking on. We'd love your input. Let's beat it up together. That would be very open-ended and it's not, you know, build the agenda together kind of thing. And it's also not the actually scripted agenda that we would have done had we believed that everyone was going to read it, come with feedback or questions or whatever. So it is, yeah, I don't know. It's like this combination of things we agree to and don't agree to that that gets wonky and i think it's all at the end of the day it's all a working agreements and expectations problem really yeah yeah and one of the um one of the things that sparks for me is just thinking about the purpose of a meeting mm-hmm. and i'm reading the art of gathering right now which i should have read a long time yeah, ago but it's book. really wonderful and uh and and the idea that the purpose of a gathering and the category of the gathering get smushed together. Mm. So it's like, we're at a funeral. So that's the purpose is the funeral. And it's like, well, that's not a purpose. That's a category of a gathering. Um, And I think the same is true in organizations. So in the kind of meeting that you and I are describing, the ultimate meeting, like I would describe the purpose of that meeting as what really happens is make sure everyone has read the document and make sure we don't have conflict. Like if I had to articulate what that ultimate meeting, the theatrical meeting is, that is the purpose of it. Is like green light, everybody's actually it's read rubber this. Stamp. The purpose Ru- is rubber stamp. Exactly. Like, that's the purpose all is purpose. rubber stamp it. <laughs> so if you were to articulate a better meeting purpose for, you know, a couple of types of meetings, what would those be? What would be the well, like tuned in? Yeah, like what are the categories? I, yeah. yeah. And I think, I mean, at some level we've we've played with this obviously out in in the field. I think, you know, as we talked about before, one kind of meeting is let's make something, let's make yeah. a thing, let's work on a thing together. That's the generative uh, meeting. And I would even include things like brainstorms in that category, right? It's just the generative space. Um, one kind of meeting that's really important, obviously, is the decision meeting. And I think one of the reasons we have way too many of those is that we don't know who has decision rights. So we have to get everybody in the room and we either assume that the leader is going to make the decision in front of all of us or we're going to make it by some magic you know, some alchemy that occurs when we all get in the room. So, so decisions would, would be another one. I think, um, another one is probably analysis, uh, or steering, which is basically like, we want to look at what happened, reflect and navigate. And that could be as big and sort of grand as a retrospective moment, or it could be as small as like, we just got the numbers in, let's look at them. Let's think about what that means for us. Let's sense make and decide, you know, what to do based on that. Um, I think a sort of distant cousin of that is probably a strategy meeting where we're thinking about like, what are we prioritizing based on everything that we've noticed and learned? So maybe it's just the same meeting, but on a longer time horizon at some level or a bigger scope. Um, That's, you know, that's the bulk of it. And then obviously we have different versions of stand-ups or weekly unblocking moments where it's like, we need stuff from each other tactically. Let's get it from each other. And that can be done, honestly, in person or on a Zoom or even asynchronously in a Slack environment or something. But it's that meeting of like, what do you need and how do you get it? And how do we kind of keep keep the, the ship sailing? Right. One of, one of the things I like about what you just said is as you articulated each of those meeting types, you said what the question is that the meeting's trying to answer, which right. I feel like is a real shift. Um, And the other thing that I've learned from being in a lot of meetings with you that I have fully cribbed is 
I think you're really good when you come into a forum, whether it's an internal meeting or not, at being like, okay, we know why we're here because we do this right, but um, like, how are we going to do this and what tool are we going to use? Like, I think you're really dialed at showing up to a thing and being like, okay, how are we going to make this decision and where, like where in the internet or tool stack (laughs) or whatever are we going to do it? Um, and I feel like those kind of three moves of like, what questions does it answer? How are we going to, and then just getting in there and before diving in, just be like, how are we actually going to do this thing? Um, could just save a lot of the pre-work and the pre-negotiation. Yeah. Which in some ways is, is very elemental. Like you think about, you know, you're a carpenter, what are we building? Why are we building it? What tools will we use? So we 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 need a dinner table. We're going right. to build a dinner table, and we're going to need a saw and you know sandpaper and you know screws. And so like it is, it is that elemental, I think. And and in some ways, we've just lost that. One of the one of the trends I've been noticing lately in all of our work across the OS has been this instinct or this natural habit of just like increasing the complication and complexity of all of the things that we do at work and why we do them and what they're connected to. And so we lose that elemental understanding. It's yeah. like, we, you know, there's, this is our uh, AOP, you know, period six uh, review with audit committee seven. And right. it's like, ah, uh, there's so many acronyms and inside baseball understandings and, and, you know, ad- agendas baked into that set of statements that I forgot that like, this is the meeting where we make sure we're not doing anything illegal, right. you know, and like, <laughs> this, that's is, it. this is the nobody goes to jail meeting. <laughs> right. Right. And, and I think it's funny. I mean, I, you know, I was, I was, uh, with a group on Monday and they, um, you know, they do a really, a really incredible thing. They make the, their products, their outcome is a really incredible thing. And they just started rattling off all the different meetings and moments and processes. And I was like, none of that feels connected to reality to me anymore. Like as a, you know, as an outsider coming in. And of course we, we often prize that we, 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 we love that insider status of like knowing the lingo and knowing the abstractions and all the ways of talking about how we work that make us feel important and make us feel official. So mm-hmm. like an audit review sounds like, you know, I feel important talking about it. I feel safe saying it like that, but actually just saying like, are we doing illegal stuff? That feels no one would ever say that at work. Like it would feel like right. a risk to just say it out loud. Um, and yeah, so I just think that we we do it. we're very good as humans at creating abstraction and creating the meta and the you know kind of layers of meaning around what we do. But it also leads us super astray when it comes to you know meetings and their purpose and the tools that support them. Totally. I I also think we would be remiss in this conversation to not talk at all about the power dynamics present in what we're discussing because the whole meeting to prepare for meeting thing, (laughs) um, you know, we can talk to people about tactics to break that cycle within their own teams, but there Mm -hmm. is an implied power structure that drives a lot of this behavior. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so so many, which is like, you know, they're fun to make. Uh, so so how do you think about that? Uh, I've gotten a lot of questions from people in a variety of spots lately that is not surprising where it's like, I hear you, I'm into it, I want it all, and I'm seven layers down in the organization, 
like the powers that be will never allow, et cetera, et cetera. What can I do about it? So when you think about this particularly political meetings to prepare thing, how do you think about the power dynamic and working on that? Well, I sort of, uh, I'd be curious what you think too, but I, I sort of feel like there are two two parts of this that are opposites in some way um, that feed it. One it, that's the more interesting one to me is this idea that like we assume a lot about the power and egoic needs of the people above us. So mm-hmm. I would say two out of three yeah. times when I talk to a team and they're like, this review is stupid, but the leader needs it. And then I go talk to the leader, like, is this working the way you want it to work? Is this like, are you able to play the role you want to play, offer the advice you want to offer and see the result? They're almost always uniformly like, no, like this is not working the way I want it to work. And so everybody's part of this dance where the people without power think the people with power have what they want in the algorithm. And the people with power are sort of like, too spread thin and too busy and overloaded to really fix it. So they just kind of show up and they try to chip away at it. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, and I would say this is the most common tension I hear, uh, people come to me too late with too finished a product that's too yeah. perfect. And right. then my choices are either offer no advice, in which case, why are we having this fucking meeting? Or blow it up and really piss them off. Yeah. Right. And so like, and what are sh- those are terrible choices. Like who wants yeah. the choices between do a theater meeting or blow everybody's work up? Yeah. Um, so I think that I think the first thing to accept is like nobody's happy in the status quo, and nobody nobody likes it working the way it works. Now right. the other mirror side of that, the shadow side of that, that I was going to bring up is, except for a few people. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and what I find is we that know them. They're we real. know them. Sometimes mm-hmm. we are them. Mm-hmm. Um, the, there are there are subjects. I don't think it's person to person. I think it's context to context. There are subjects where when that's the topic, I can't let it go. And so it's mm. like, I, I don't want to just let the team run and, and do it with autonomy. I don't have the time or the inclination to actually do the work with them, side saddle. So I want to preserve this weird reviewy, theatrical, power-driven, operatum dynamic. And that mm-hmm. means like, bring me to work as it's happening. Let me fuddle with it. And then, you know, then I'll be happy and I can kind of scratch that itch. And I think for every leader, there's that one thing where they're like, for me, it's probably design, mm. where it would be yeah, like, you're designing shit. a thing, like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like someone's like making a, a, you know, a branded T-shirt or something. I'd be like, I want to see it, you know. So, um, and sometimes I win and sometimes I lose, you know, on fighting my own inclinations there. But, but I think for everybody, there's that thing, and so then that part of the of the meeting rhythm is still preserved, and we can't we can't update it. We can't refine it because we can't live. We can't deal with the fact that either we have to make the time to work on it or we have to let it go. Um, and so I think those two things are both happening simultaneously. And by the way, the only way to find out is to get in dialogue with each other and be like, Hey, is this that one thing for you that you're like really attached to, but don't have time for, is there a way for us to navigate that with a smarter, you know, decision, right. Or advice, right. Or rhythm, Um, or is it a thing where you're like, I hate this too, and we should definitely reinvent it. Right. Um, so yeah, that would be my advice to the, you know, to the seven layers down person. But, um, I don't know, what did I miss? What would you, how would you jazz on that? Yeah. The, um, the sort of pet thing. So I, I always, uh, sort of graphically and jokingly say that in these theatrical meeting cultures, it's like everybody just needs to pee on it a little bit. 
make it theirs. <laughs> you you know? have like dog dog metaphors. <laughs> I'm super into my dog. Yeah, because uh, yeah, you watch a dog. You watch dogs at the dog park and one of them pees and then your dog immediately has to go pee right where they peed to be like, no, For sure. my spot. Uh, and so that's a real thing that you see. But what you're saying about people having their pet things that they need to pee on, I think is totally legit. And I think like a lot of trends and patterns and organizations, that one thing gets extrapolated out to be about everything. And so getting really clear to say like Aaron's fiddly and perfectionist about design and he wants to see that whenever possible. So let's include him and get his advice. And also he's very good at it. So it's going to be beneficial is one thing. But what I think often happens is the culture becomes very paternalistic mm-hmm. and what it so and rather than that, it's like Aaron's a micromanager. He wants to be involved in everything. So let's show him everything before it goes out. (laughs) And what that does is uh, besides just like putting sand in the gears and being a nightmare for everybody involved, it also, what I see a lot is it also really discredits the ability of leaders to act like adults and the ability of a leader to see something that they were not consulted on that's good enough and be okay. And, um, you know, I, I had a very challenging client a couple of years ago and someone inside of that team wanted to sit down and review my stuff with me before I talked to the CEO. And I will never forget. He said to me, you know, I'm just trying to protect you Mm. from anything bad happening. And my, immediate gut reaction was like, motherfucker, I don't need your protection. (laughs) That's like not, that's not the dynamic here, but that's the kind of OS that they had was we'll protect you from her and we'll protect her from hearing anything unpleasant. And we'll spend all of this time protecting anyone from having an unpleasant experience. And then what we'll get is really watered down ideas, really focus grouped to death content and just a tremendous amount of wasted time. Right. Which is the worst part of all. So it's like my basic hack is wherever you are in an organization, behave as if everyone is an adult who can handle what you could handle until they show you otherwise. Yeah. I mean, I think behave as if is like one of the best pieces of org advice anyway, because we, you know, it creates this environment where then we all show up differently. So I like that. The other thing that it sparked for me as I guess kind of a, a parting crack at this before we figure out who to, you know, who to consult is, um, it's an opportunity as a leader to think about constraints. So if you're like, I really need to be like, if I'm like, I really need to be in the design meeting, do you? Or is <laughs> are there just a set of constraints or agreements that you can create that will solve those tensions, that will solve right. those fears? So like my big right. project for this year is probably an updated brand guide that's like, hey, these are the things that are just non-negotiable for the brand. These are the things that we're trying to preserve and protect. And I think, frankly, if I had that, even if somebody went way off script, just the ability to go to them and be like, hey, that was way off script. See the script? Yes, we got it. We're all on track. It'll never, it won't happen that way again. Mm-hmm. Like that's almost enough to scratch the itch where I don't even need to prevent all possible errors because at the end of the day, it's totally safe to try for us to screw up some brand thing. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or even, you know, somebody may invent something even better and I'll be like, oh my God, that's stunning. So, but the trick is like, do you have a, do you have a shared understanding of where the bright lines are or even where the heuristics and principles are to say, I can take myself out of the equation? Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, as a leader, like the best case scenario is 
are there things that you have started to codify in your leadership that ultimately are basically at the level of a principle mm-hmm. or an even overstatement or a priority or a guide or you know something that can be made into an agreement because then you can just stop yakking about it. Like people mm-hmm. don't have to come come to you wondering what it might be. Like what might he think of this or what might <laughs> what she might think of that? What might the oracle come up yeah. with? Yeah, and it's today. like, oh no, yeah. we know what this person will think about it because these are their principles or their constraints or, the, or more importantly, these are our principles or our constraints that we've all agreed to. Right. So to me, I feel like that's the the sort of secret killer weapon is if you're hung up on like, I'd love to cut these meetings, but I still feel like my my expertise or my value is needed. Mm-hmm. Then how do you how do you institutionalize it? Is mm-hmm. basically the you know that's job one. Yeah, cool. So I have a really counterintuitive guest idea for this episode, which is Dan Kim from Basecamp, the project management company. I had reached out to Waylon Wong, who hosts their podcast, and she said that Dan was kind of the resident meeting skeptic over there. And so I think he'll bring a completely different perspective and help us really question the value and the integrity of meetings in the first place. And if they do have them, when and why and how they do them in a way that that's really meaningful to them. So when we're back, we will be joined by Dan. Sweet. I can't wait. Hey, everybody. We're back with Dan Kim from Basecamp. Dan, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Right on. So the long story short here is after we broke after the A block, I was reaching out to Waylon Wong, who hosts the Basecamp podcast. And I was like, who at Basecamp can give us the breakdown on meetings or the lack thereof at Basecamp and the why and the what of that? And she's like, oh, our resident meeting hater, Dan, would be happy (laughs) to come school you on this. So we got connected and we're excited that you're here. But for folks listening, Give us like the, you know, one sentence take on what Basecamp is if they haven't heard of it, which I can't imagine, but maybe they haven't. And then what you do there. Sure. Um, Well, Basecamp is a company located in Chicago and we make an app called Basecamp and it effectively just helps teams and companies stay organized, run their projects and kind of get things done. And everything's kind of in one place instead of sort of in a bunch of different tools. So we sort of pride ourselves in being like a central point where everybody can can kind of get organized. and Basecamp as a company tends to have strong opinions on how we work, um, certainly things like meetings. And I've been there for about six years, and I am a programmer on the Android team. Got it. Got it. And so give us the kind of the Dan Kim theory of meetings and then how that's similar or different from the overall take at Basecamp and what you see there. Sure. Well, I think it's pretty similar to our general take at Basecamp. Um, my overall feeling on them is that a lot of times I think they're unnecessary and they're mm-hmm. kind of major interruptions that effectively take away from your real work. So sort of in a nutshell, a lot of times, not always, but a lot of times they're kind of a waste of time. And one of the things I sort of personally hate to do is, is to waste time. And so sort of because they're unnecessary and because they're interruptions to getting your actual work done, what ends up happening is that people end up working more. And so in my opinion, it tends to be a cause or at least one of the causes of, of overwork, right? You're sort of... yeah spending all your time in these meetings and you're not getting your actual work done. Certainly the deadlines don't move. The bosses still want to get the work done. So uh, you end up working in all these weird times that you shouldn't be on the weekends and at nights and in the mornings and stuff like that. So that's my, that's my general sort of um, problem with them. Of course, they're not all bad. Sometimes they're necessary, but as a whole, I think there's, there's certainly a problem with them that there's just too many of them. And a lot of times they're, they're just not necessary. Yeah. 
Absolutely. We uh, have the conversation so frequently with people who are like, oh, yeah, I'm in meetings like 40 hours a week. And then I do my real work on the couch at night. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> what, what now? Uh, so something you said just made me think about this thing that I hear a lot, which is particularly for leaders in organizations, uh, work has sort of become defined as responding to emails and sitting in meetings. And it sounds to me like your definition of work is not that. So could you maybe talk a little bit about that? Like, what do you think of as actual work? And what do you think of as the role of meetings in that? And maybe even why have meetings become synonymous with working when really they're not? Sure. Well, I think that a lot of times, especially those of us who are in creative fields, things like programming or design or writing or art or anything like that, that's the actual work that you're producing. So if you're a programmer or designer, you're producing an app or a website. You know, if you're an artist or a writer, you're creating art or you're creating, you know, the piece of fiction or nonfiction that you're putting out into the world. Like those are the pieces of work that you're actually sort of producing and trying to get yeah. out there. And meetings and those kinds of things are sort of on the edges of those and they can help us get to those things. But the real actual work are those things that you're producing. Mm-hmm. A lot of times I think that meetings sometimes, not a lot of times, there's sometimes a function of, you know, middle management and the sort of uh, career where you can sort of move pieces around and get people to communicate. And in, in many companies, those are helpful and required to sort of have someone who can kind of coordinate things. But it's very difficult for the creators, for the people who are actually sitting down and doing the work and have to produce stuff to be spending a good chunk of their time in those coordination steps and sort of meeting it and doing those things sure. versus the actual time of producing the writing or, or doing the thing that sort of actually matters. And so I think some of it is just because of the creation of the middle manager position, which you know sometimes is necessary, but oftentimes isn't. And um, I think that the, the work itself is certainly what we focus on at Basecamp, um, getting the actual core functionality and the stuff that we're building for Basecamp, that's the thing that we're most focused on. And meetings that we do have are very much on the edges and sort of help support that. But it's always the work comes first and the meetings are there sort of second, secondarily and can kind of maybe help push those along. But it's about producing the work um, and about producing the functionality that we need. I mean, it sounds kind of like paradise. I think uh, (laughs) what's funny is like, you know, if the writer is producing a book, the middle manager is, they're doing is making the meetings. And what always interests me is how when I meet people who are in management, who have gotten out of the habit of making things, frequently the way that they got to lead a team or lead a function is because they were once really solid makers. Not always, but sometimes. And then they sort of get to this certain altitude inside of an organization and somehow the thinking and the doing gets separated. And not only are they out of the habit of making things, they do start to fundamentally believe that judging or critiquing or opining or uh, fiddling with other people's actual work is our job, which is right. uh, yep. fascinating to me. I've, uh, I can relate to that to some degree because before I joined Basecamp in my sort of previous life before Basecamp, um, I sort of had that as well. Like I definitely got into like the management track. So anything I mm-hmm. say about like meetings and, and, and middle managers and all that kind of stuff, like I, I've definitely lived that life. Um, <laughs> but you're right. There's definitely sort of this track, especially when it, you know, sort of in my field in technology where uh, you get to a certain point and they sort of make you choose. They sort of say right. in a lot of companies, they sort of say, Hey, do you want to stay on this technical track where you can sort of, you know, keep doing your work and stay in the architect role where then you'll sort of look over everything and kind of like judge other people's work, but you won't be creating day to day, or you can sort of go this management track and the management track is sort of like 
you know, the emailing coordination track where you're just sort mm-hmm. of and managing people kind of track. And a lot of times, uh, certainly in technology, we force people to choose that. There is no sort of third track, which is just keep doing really good work every day. Like you just mm-hmm. want to, you just want to keep programming. You just want to keep writing. Like you can actually keep moving up that field and just keep doing the work day to day. And that's a fundamental difference between Basecamp per se against most other companies, which sort of make you choose like get out of doing the actual work, get out of doing the things you were really good at for a long mm-hmm. time, which is really weird to push people out of those things, right? Yeah, it is. It reminds me, it's funny, this conversation is taking me back to um, this Paul Graham essay from 2009, when he talked about maker time versus manager time. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I remember that like flew across everybody's desk, we we're all reading and thinking about that. And people like started messing with their schedules to get a little bit of maker time back. But I think we missed the bigger picture argument, which is what you're starting to delineate, which is like, why are those the only two types of people? And also, why do we have to choose? And why does manager time look like that? Like, why does manager time look like eight hours of 30 minute increments? And is that actually adding any value? So I guess what it makes me wonder is at Basecamp or even just in your own practice, Dan, how do you decide when there's a reason to have a meeting or not? Well, I think the basic thing is that there's nothing scheduled, you sort of know you need a meeting when you know you need a meeting, right? There's no mm-hmm. planned meeting. Mm. Meeting takes place like when you actually like have a need for it, which is such a crazy idea, right? So you don't schedule something in advance. You don't have standups and we don't have that kind of stuff. What ends up happening typically is like um, we sort of use this concept of gears in the company and we sort of start at the slowest gear, right? You start with something like that's written, uh, whether it be a to-do or a message or something like that. And you kind of work your way up from there. If you, you know, aren't getting the fidelity of conversation that you need to, to get something done, then you can take it up a gear and you can go into chat. So we have uh, a tool called Campfire, which is chat, but it could be Slack or whatever else. You take it up a gear and you talk about that a little bit faster. And then like if that gear is not sufficient, then you take it to the highest gear, which is your, you know, face-to-face, whether that's in person or whether that's, you know, over hangouts or something like that. And then you do a video chat and then that's your meeting, right? That's your highest gear. That's your highest fidelity where you really need to hash it out. So we sort of work our way up the ladder instead of starting at the top of the ladder. Like we don't say jump straight to a meeting and say, go straight to a meeting. And that's where we start. That's where we start our conversation. So typically we start low and then we'll kind of, kind of work our way up. And I think in a lot of companies, the first reactions or the first line of defense is start at the meeting, like start there. That's that's just what we do. Like just start there. Like we can't possibly get this done over a written communication. We got to meet for it. Right. Um, And so I think that's typically the mistake. And that's sort of the reversal of what we do at Basecamp. We just kind of, we tend to, start in the low gear and then we'll, we'll kind of work our way up as, as we need to. But there's never anything like scheduled. Uh, we don't have a standing, let's meet every Wednesday at you know 9 a.m. or something like that. It just, it just doesn't happen. Got it. The gear concept is super cool. I really, I really dig that. I'm going to think about that a lot. Uh, I wondered how some of these cultural norms do you think show up in your product or how do the norms of your product show up in your culture? Yeah, I think they're, they're definitely uh, interchangeable. The fact that we even have those separate tools. So in Basecamp, there's a lot of different ways to communicate. There's there's chat, there's to-dos, mm-hmm. there's messages, there's files, there's all sorts of ways to do things. But um, the product certainly reflects the way we work, which is having everything in one place where you can pick the gear that's appropriate for what you need. So mm-hmm. um, unlike chat apps, which are just chat apps, when you go to like Slack or you go to some other one, you can you, you basically have one avenue to talk about stuff, right? It's, you have You have to do chat. Whereas we have an option to go go down if we need to. So if we want to just say create a to do and copy somebody on it and say, hey, could you 
possibly do this, then we have that. And then we don't need to discuss mm-hmm. it any further. Like it's, right. it, it's fine. We're clear. Or if we need to expand on an idea or we want to share something with the company then we can write a big long form message, which is sort of akin to like an email. Uh-huh. And you just write a message that's long form. You've thought it through. You've had time to to compose something versus this like constant back and forth, which is typically what chat is. Chat is typically like you say something, I say something, you say something, I say something, you know, a composed sort of full thought. Right. It's just a different way of sending across information. And so the product reflects that because we have all those things built in there and we use all of them all the time because, again, there are different times require different ways of communicating. Um, obviously, meetings are not a way to communicate in Basecamp. Like we don't have like a video chat in Basecamp <laughs> yeah. um, for yeah. you know a variety of reasons, but you could say arguably because we try to do that the least. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I also just feel like it really, what you're describing also really respects the introvert who doesn't necessarily want to only share information uh, in a performative, live, verbal way, interacting with other humans. Like a lot of us are processors who would prefer to read something long form and have time to digest it before we're required to engage or react. Very much so. And that's, um, I think it's fair to say that Basecamp is a company of largely introverts, not all, but largely introverts. And I think that is reflected in the product. Like you said, we prefer to have time to write and think. And we also prefer to have time to read something, take Mm -hmm. our time and react to it versus like, well, immediately I know the answer to that question or immediately I know the answer. Like, you know, for me personally, when I get a, a technical question, I rarely know the answer right away. It's almost never do I know the answer when I read something. I'm like, I don't know. I got to go look at the code. I got to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Give me a second to kind of go through everything. Like, I don't know those stuff, those kinds of things off the top of my head. A lot of people do. I'm not one of those people. I have to be like, I got to go look at some stuff and I'll get you a sort of right. a, a cohesive answer. I, I don't know. I don't know what it is off the top of my head. In some ways, I find that to be the most interesting part about a lot of these new ways of working that we you know, study and try is some of it seems to be more inclusive and some of it seems to be defaulting to a certain style. So I do like the idea of, of having the right combo of like introvert positive features in your, you know, meeting or lack of meeting culture, and then being able to, you know, modulate into the others. So Dan, one thing I'm always thinking about as we kind of come to the end of these episodes is how can people get started? So imagine that most people listening, if they have not already, you know, found the the Valhalla of a low or no meetings culture, <laughs> um, that they're interested, that maybe they're in an environment where they are, you know, in eight hours of meetings a day. Do you have any advice for someone since you've been in that world and this world, um, someone that wants to get started? What's like a good first move or a good, you know, way to think about how to start to break down the addiction to meetings? What would you recommend? Yep. Um, I think if you're a, a meeting caller, so if you're a you know a director or, or manager or something like that, there's an obvious one, which is just try not having a meeting. Uh, I know it sounds crazy. I know it sounds like an insane idea, but like it's you know the simplest answer is often the best. And I recognize like it's difficult in a lot of companies, especially ones that are very meeting centric and um, have that sort of meeting culture. But it's worth a shot. And the the way to think about it is to ask yourself if you as a team or the team leader really like need this meeting, not like, could you have this meeting and will this meeting have some value? Because even, mm-hmm. well, not all, all meetings, but even the worst meetings usually have like some little nugget of value. So it's not about like, not to think about it as like, could we meet and will something good come out of this? It's more like, do we need this? Is this more important than having, like, let's say you have five people in the meeting. Is this more important than those five people doing five hours of work? Right. Mm-hmm. One person, one, one hour meeting is not 
a one hour meeting, right? If you have five people in there, you're, you're pulling off five hours of work from people at least because they're ramping in and out of the meetings they're moving out to other meetings. And so you, you have to consider the trade-off of, you know, this meeting that I'm having or I'm calling, is it worth the work that we're putting aside um, for that? And I think another thing you can do is just, if you're going to have meetings, try to have as few people as possible. Um, mm-hmm. We sort of apply this three-person um, rule at Basecamp. It's sort of arbitrary, but we find that works best. It gives us some, you know, enough people to talk about stuff. It gives us um, the ability to still make decisions in that small group, and we can break ties as well. So if like two people really believe in something and one person doesn't, we can break the tie. That's cool. But finding the smallest amount of people that you can support in a meeting is is the best way to do it. So like, try not to have eight, ten, twelve people in a meeting. Try doing three or five or whatever it is in your company that makes the most sense. And then for the people who are getting sucked into those meetings, you know, if you're not a meeting caller, but you're one sort of attending most of the time, um, I think one underrated thing is just trying to get out of them, um, just asking whether or not you should be in the meeting. Like, again, <laughs> right. it sounds obvious, but there have been like studies and articles that show that people invite people to meetings because they don't they don't even know who, they don't know who to invite. They don't want to make people feel bad or left out. Right. Um, they, there's all these sort of social reasons why people get. Uh, invited to meetings and so like sometimes you're, you're not even needed there and, and the person asking you to be there doesn't not want you to be there because they don't want you to feel bad so sometimes if you don't need to be there all you have to do is ask and be like hey do i have to be at this meeting like i have a few things to do and they might just be like no you don't need to come it's fine uh, i had that had plenty of times when i was working in my previous previous life job so i think those things sort of in combination there's obviously many other things you can do but i think hopefully those few things can can get people out of meeting culture a bit well, in the spirit of this conversation, that seems like a good place to end then, Dan, so that you can get back to your very important work um, and, and us likewise. So I want to I thank our guest, uh, Dan Kim. Thanks. Thanks again for having me. And my co-host, Rodney Evans. Yep. Thanks, Dan. It was really a pleasure hearing from you. Awesome. And uh, we'll see uh, everybody next week. 